Hey, it's me, Ben, from this podcast. Uh, this is just to say that this week's free episode is one from our uh, behind the paywall in our bonus episodes. And this is uh, an episode of the spin-off podcast that I do with my dear friend Theo called The Theo Files. Um, I think you're going to learn a lot of very interesting things. Uh, if you like this sort of bonus content, you can either, you know, wait seven to eight months um, until I have a week where I've got too much shit on and then a bonus episode ends up as a free episode to cover that time. Or you can pay, I think, like seven bucks uh, Australian-ish to um, get four bonus episodes a month if it's a four-week calendar month or about one extra every week is probably the better way to say that. Um, anyway, I've already taken up so much of your time. I hope you're having a, a wonderful day, whether you're listening to this in a car or on a bus or you're walking or you've maybe got it going in the kitchen while you're doing your dishes. All of the normal ways people listen to podcasts. Anyway, um, without any further ado, ado, here's the podcast right Come one, come all, and gather round, we'll tell our tales to thee. Of saints and whores and demon cause of sights for all to see. Come ye all around the fire and listen all the while. To tales of holes and mystery we call the Theophiles. We call the Theophiles. And you just tell me when you're ready. And we're and we're off apparently. Yeah, I'd already hit the button. Yeah, yep. yeah, I got you. I got you with a sneaky you, little. You trick. got me. Ah, you got got. It's exactly got, like got. that Death Grip song. Mm-hmm. Uh, hello, welcome to Bunta Vista. Um, this is a bonus episode seven of the Theophiles number. Yeah, two hundred seventeen. Well. Mm, okay. Well, this is probably going to get released on the free feed at some point, as we at do with point. all of the Theophiles episodes. So we just can't keep them to ourselves. You could just say this is Theophiles uh, episode seven, which might be confusing because the last one that got released was Theophiles five, which would be now I'm confused. Well, yeah, and see that is confusing. But you see that the one before that was also Theophiles five. <laughs> <laughs> We're so good at podcasting. Yeah, and now that I'm saying that out loud, I know that I doubled up on one, but I'm starting to doubt what that number was. <laughs> I'm just going to do a little quick. <laughs> All right, while you're working that out, um, <laughs> let me let me welcome you to the show. Uh, this, of course, is a uh, audio medium where we where we talk uh, to each other and to you. <laughs> Did you feel compelled to have to explain the concept of podcasting kind of, as a whole? I just got worried a little that we had to kind of go back to basics while we're yeah. kind of covering. Uh, some other issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Theo, um, and it appears that I've been living uh, two lives. Uh, my first life is as uh, Theo, a power systems engineer, um, lovely man, father of a child. Um, but at night, I podcast also uh, under the name of Theo as well. So no real... Uh, yeah. Nom de plume there. Um, and neither of these activities bring me any closer to unearthing the secret that we're all in the Matrix. Yeah. So both my normal life and my alternate life, no overlap 
with uh, I'm I'm not going to be following the white rabbit, not going to be unraveling a trail of secrets that uh, eventually leads me to um, waking up, uh, kind of to a new life, a new world, and a more difficult but a, a more true world. Um, yeah. As I realize that I am just a, a battery in a pod. None Although- of that. Interestingly enough, uh, your normal life does lead you to every morning waking up covered in a strange goo. That's true. That's certainly true. Uh, that's for medical reasons. Um, and uh, so, I'm, I don't know, I'm feeling pretty good, to be perfectly honest. Yep. Um, I'm not kind of, I'm not challenged by any sort of greater truth. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, like the reality that I'm part of is just a veil uh, you don't have any problems distinguishing uh, wakefulness from dreams? Certainly not. No, no. Yeah. This is the one level of reality that concerns me. There's no question that drives you? No. Yeah. No, there's no, <laughs> there's no question that drives me. Certainly you don't not. fall asleep at your computer at night with your head on the desk, with your headphones on, listening to the Massive Attack song dissolved girl while your computer is doing a thing where it's bringing up black and white images of Morpheus by itself. No. no, That doesn't happen at all. None of that. Well, I mean, if it does happen, I'm asleep. Yes. So, you know. So, I wouldn't. You wouldn't know. And so, like, in in essence, you're not really leading a double life at all. You're leading a a single life. Well, just between the, just between the, um, like, kind of, I'm, you know, sort of got a a white collar job during the daytime and then I do, like, a hobby thing. So, you're saying if that you the double me. life is that during the day you're on the computer and at night you're on the computer. That's right. Yes. But for okay. two different reasons. Yeah. So, really the only similarity that you're drawing, the parallel here between you and the protagonist of The Matrix is that Theo rhymes with Neo. No, I wasn't about to do that either. Oh, sorry. You were drawing a comparison where there's no comparison. No comparison. I mean, there, we might all be inside The Matrix, but that's none of my I'm business. Not. No, I'm not. I know for sure. Okay. No worries. Well, yeah. that, that's as good a time as any to bring you in, Ben. You've been living a double life. <laughs> uh, during the day, you uh, go to the beach with your uh, beautiful moron of a dog, Louie. Yep. Uh, he farts up a storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at night, uh, you podcast under the nom de plume, uh, Ben McClay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ne- neither of those things as well sort of come bring you any closer to unearthing the, the truth that will uh, undo the... Uh, all of the the work and effort of the uh, machines that rule us, yep, um, subject us to a um, sort of saccharine fake reality, etc. Yeah, I think um, Thomas Anderson's sort of the profound driving. Oh, yeah, he's got the, that. You, well, I he, mean, he kind of like felt that there's no way that the life he was leading was his real life, that it must be some empty shell put there for some reason. There must be some bigger truth. Yeah. Whereas I uh, I take my, my war horse to the beach and uh-huh. I say, oh, this is quite nice. Life is good, isn't it? It is. This Crack is fundamentally what life is. There's nothing I mean, else they, behind it. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you were like having to live some sort of clandestine existence, let's say on a, you know, secretive um, spaceship deep in the bowels of Neo-Earth... Yeah. Um, they probably don't have the um, facilities for either creating cans or the beer to fill those cans. No, I think they have. Um, well, there's that bit where they're drinking some sort of weird moonshine uh, in the oh, first of movie. Course. Yeah, they probably would have weird moonshine. I I assume they're drinking the exact same thing as the stuff that the guy makes in the master. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, mouse is just out the back, like mixing chemicals. And... Yeah, they oh, probably the don't have so like. Good. You probably can't get like a nice West Coast IPA on the Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> like oh oh sorry you've only got oh you've got neepers yeah. in the uh, in you the any... no sorry not for me I don't really like hazies you got any uh, got any mid strength no it's just seven hundred proof <laughs> that might be a bit I might get a little sleepy on the boat do you have anything that isn't flammable anything mm. close to three and a half percent no oh, yeah. okay they're okay. all ninety eight percent this is just <laughs> and we don't have enough water to kind of dilute it we can't any. thin that down no. yeah. No, the water is uh, just for the toilet and nothing else. <laughs> well, it's very lucky that we're not in that normal. We're just in the normal world, which is, it's got its problems. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe um, part of the reason maybe that doesn't strike a chord with us is that we're both cis men and that there's a fair chance that uh, that first Matrix movie was just like a a very big metaphor for realising that the way you were living your life was a, f- a fake version of who you are. Yeah. 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 We're, yeah, whereas I'm just sort of stuck with the real I mean, version of me, which is sort of, eh, you know. I do like the idea of um, you transitioning, but just because <laughs> I would like to see what your life would be like if you did have a huge <laughs> set of honkers. And oh you don't have God, to don't, get don't huge fucking, set of honkers. Don't, but... don't set the Discordians off. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to get about 4,000 DMs now that are just Theo Egg now. (laughs) (sighs) Computer, can you give me a (laughs) rendering of Theo with huge jugs, please? Huge jugs. Femme Theo. Okay, Uh, maybe I I wouldn't mind. Wouldn't mind if someone could make. I'm going to take this for personal use. Someone Show this to Caitlin. <laughs> like, what do you, hey, hey, what do you, you just, what are your thoughts on this? Just free associate. Tell me what you think when you see this picture. <laughs> I mean, you know, we can probably, uh, you know, double up on bras. Well, so that's true. There's a lot of synergies going on there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> economy of scale. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, do you mm. have a um, a nice transition from you having I do, jugs yeah. so into... Spe- so speaking of um, people that kind of undergo life-changing events, Ben... What do you think the most common lost limb for sufferers of phantom limb syndrome is? Is it... Oh, well, the finger isn't a limb, is it? Uh, is it arms? Uh, I don't know. I was hoping you could answer it. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about, like, the the horrors of, like, the... I've been looking at a lot of, like, the horrors of the depths, um, like, of the ocean and stuff. And so yeah. one thing I'm terrified of is the abyssal zone. Which is, like, second only to the Hadal Zone in terms of, like, geography with sick names. Shout out to uh, husband of the show, Jesse, who Mm -hmm. uh, works on um, marine biological programs exploring the Abyssal Zone with ROVs. Yeah, he's all the way down there in the Abyss, which is... It's wild. I mean, a he's not. Place. They're sending ROVs down there. He's oh, not, okay. He's not getting down there, which, I mean, would be cooler. So you've kind of just diminished what I was saying, which I thought <laughs> was already quite cool. Yeah, Jesse, pretty cool, but pretty um, cool. maybe if you got in a submarine, it'd be a little bit cool. Oh, yeah. sorry. This is, I, I don't up want to break the your, flow of what you're doing up there. Up there on the computer. I was, uh, I was, I took Louis uh, camping the other day and I did what I always do of a night time. I cook myself a nice dinner, then I get very mm. stoned and then I listen to Radio Lab. And mm. uh, there was a, I was just very high sitting there listening to a lovely episode about water. And then uh, they started talking to this woman who was a submarine pilot. 
And I was like, well, that voice sounds very familiar. And I was like, well, you think that because you stoned and all voices sound, uh-huh. sound familiar. And then she started talking about her job more. And then I was like, oh, shit. No, that's the woman that piloted the submarine that I went on. It's oh. Erica Bergman. That's the woman I spent 20 minutes in a submarine with. It was fucking mind-blowing. It was wild. wild. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. You, um, you, we don't have to talk about oh, my so, submarine so experiences. So you, you sort of uh, kind of went off and, you know, hanging out with Louie, and I was wondering whether you took Louie <laughs> to, to the, the submarine. Oh, my God. Imagine. That, that, there <laughs> was like, Louie. There was three of us inside a submarine, and we didn't all fit in there. Putting Louie in there would be chaos. Be <laughs> jumping on all the buttons, emptying all the ballast tanks. <laughs> Farting up a sto- Oh my god, no, oh that'd be god. a nightmare. <laughs> uh, you have a beautiful, disgusting hound. Ben. I do, yes. Um, but uh, just to make it clear, so the abyss is the floor of the ocean, the mm-hmm. deep ocean. Um, so it's like three to six kilometers down. Uh, represents about 83% of the total ocean floor and about 60% of the Earth's surface. So most of the Earth is just abyss, yeah. which is pretty cool. Uh it's completely dark, has no process for creating its own life, but uh, creatures there rely on like dead and decomposing biomatter falling from the higher layers of the ocean, which is also extremely metal. Yeah, it's like how the BBC uh, Natural Sciences Unit or whatever it's called is obsessed with whale carcasses falling to the bottom of the ocean. I say this because oh, really? they've done, in both seen... seasons of Blue Planet, they they cover a whale carcass yeah. falling down to the abyssal zone. I haven't watched the Blue Planet. i gotta, I got to get on What that. the fuck? How is that true? I've got... So... I I work, I play Picross, I look yeah. after my son, and I podcast. I mean, the first season of Blue Planet came out when I was, like, 14 years old, I'm pretty sure. Like, mm. it's been kicking around for a while. I've got them both on Blu-ray if you want oh, to borrow those. Or you could just pirate them like you would with anything No, else. no, Blu-ray's good. I can probably put that in my PlayStation and whack the top of it until it, like, decides to accept the disc. Oh, man. I, the, the shelf life on a PlayStation. Not okay. good. No. No. Huh. Anyway. So, like, and, and I'm not going to talk about the abyss all day, but this sort of leads. You could. This is how I got into it. I could. Because um, it freaks me out. Um, and, like, life down there is limited to horrible little creatures like blind shrimp who hang out near hydrothermal vents looking for a crumb of entropy <laughs> um, or ALP stands. <laughs> um, you know, but I don't, want to, I don't want to talk too much about the abyssal zone except to say it's terrifying. It kind of led me to what I want to talk about. Um which is to say I'm, like, equally awed and scared of, like, gigantic geographical zones that are completely hostile to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, which New South Wales. To- yeah. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh, hey, <laughs> oh. Um, which brings me to the concept, which is uh, which I want to talk about t- today, uh, which is even more terrifying still, um, a little thing I like to call abyssal Italy, um, but is actually the <laughs> Messines uh, salinity crisis, which is... Doesn't quite have the same ring to it, so I'm hoping to yeah get the Abyssal Wikipedia Italy. name. Yeah, sure. See if you can. <laughs> Abyssal Italy redirects to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, can I just um? I just had a really good uh, life achievement happen for me. For the last two weeks, I've had a splinter stuck in my finger, and I just oh. got it out. Since, yeah. with, just with your fingers, or yeah, I've been kind of just picking at it for a little while there, oh. and uh, yeah, it's finally out of my body. That feels really good. God, oh, stop worrying about that one. Fuck. Now I've little got fin- phantom splinter syndrome. Mm. Uh, little Finny's got a little splinter in his oh, thumb. Oh, no. And there's no way I'm getting that out. No, so. God. You'd be like, oh, wow, I have to help my son by hurting him. Yeah, that seems hold- like a Yeah. Hold still for- while I pierce your body. Oh, mm. that sounds quite tough, actually. Not that sounds me. like one of those sort of milestone parenthood things of having to balance 
How do you uh, inflict pain to save greater pain? Yeah. Oof. Mm. No, thank you. We're on the avoidance. <laughs> I shan't do that for his entire life. <laughs> nope. Uh, avoidance was good enough for my parents and it's good enough for us. Uh, um, so today's tale is split into two parts. The first part begins around 5.96 to 5.33 million years ago. Uh, this is, so this is near enough to today that the major geographical features of Europe and Africa are still somewhat recognizable, um, mm-hmm. which is where our, our tale takes place in between. Um, so including the Iberian Peninsula, um, which is the, the peninsula that, that is Spain, modern day Spain. Um, the Italian Peninsula and a precursor to the Strait of Gibraltar, which is the water passage between the southern end of the Iberian Peninsula and the northern coast of Africa near present-day Morocco, right? Which is the bit that links the Atlantic Ocean to the Mediterranean Sea. Mm-hmm. Just a little, it's little passage, right? Um, so this is still in the Cenozoic era, which is the current era. So this is like the time we're talking birds, mammals, primates, no dinosaurs. Um, Sadly, yeah. Sadly, and this is quite quite late in the in the era. Um, so season three of the checkout was just starting, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and over the period of a few thousand, a few hundred thousand years, something called the Mycenaean. I probably should have worked out how to pronounce that beforehand, but I was too busy. Uh, typing up a dream journal, uh, the Mesonian salinity crisis occurred. So as far as we can tell, a bunch of factors like climatic and tectonic stuff came together. And the early, like the precursor of the strait, the bit joining the, the ocean to the sea became disconnected. Mm-hmm. And over the period of a few thousand years, the majority of the water in the sea just evaporated and leaving like a basin um, almost completely dry between three to five kilometers below sea level. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and they reckon that, that so there's some de- debate about this because um, of the like geological markers and that sort of thing, that it might have happened um, a few times with the strait opening a bit, closing a bit over, you know, the several hundred thousands of years. So eventually it built up this like a layer of salt that was tens of meters thick. Um, and all this water, like, evaporating, raised the sea level by about 12 meters. So, like, I find it hard to imagine this, this just, like, how horrible this place would have been. Um, you know, it's it's European. Um, <laughs> it's three to five kilometers deep. Um, and the Grand Canyon's a little bit under two kilometers deep at its deepest point, right? And you've yeah. been to the Grand Canyon, right? I have, yeah. And, like, how did you feel looking down into it? I felt very small. Mm. I felt so small. So like small. anyone could just pick me up and swallow. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's big. You look at it yeah. and you're like, you, it's hard to kind of gauge the scale of it. You're like, well, that's not that big. And then yeah. you sort of look at a point in the distance and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. So this is like twice as deep, the size of several countries. Yeah. Um, and like just completely inhospitable. Mm. Just this mass of like hot salt. Um, there's like, and there's canyons in it sort of from where the water has like run away and carved into the, the, the dirt and stuff, including one that's like in the mouth of the Nile that's still there, like oh. several kilometers deep, which yeah, is, right. which is cool as hell. Um, but yeah, in some parts it would have just been this one gigantic country sized salt plain with like huge salt storms 
going through, just whipping up like sand and salt. Salt storms. Yeah. That's fucking metal as shit. Um, and like, because of a whole bunch of thermal dynamics, I don't understand. The lower you get, the hotter things get. So you know, like, um, what's the what's the place in the desert in in California? The with the Death extreme, Valley. Death Valley. Yeah, right, for example. There. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, I saw one estimate that said that in this like salt plain, it could get up to like eighty degrees or so. Um, I mean, that's not a fun temperature. No, for no, life. C- certainly that's not like, good for us. That's outside the danger zone for that's, food. You could leave right. your food there, and yeah. it would be fine. <laughs> oh no, I left my ham out. Wait. What? No, we're at the abyssal salt plane, so <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's a-okay. You're actually cooking and curing your mm. meats if you leave raw meat out there at yeah, the same and, time. And, and in this part of the world, we actually call it prosciutto. <laughs> so That's actually how prosciutto was prosciutto invented. Was, that's right. Pigs falling into the abyssal plane. Uh-huh. Uh, well, speaking of which, um, it's still thought that animal species could have crossed at various places right yeah um and we've we've kind of talked about these like weird migrations before mm-hmm. um but from africa to like the cooler wetter parts of like the mediterranean stuff yeah um including um and i love this one migrations of hippos to the later islands of crete malta sicily and cyprus which then as the you know later the water came back and they became islands they underwent uh, you know, dwarfenization, where you know, adapting to the smaller size of the the. Is that of- why Maltese terriers are so little? <laughs> yeah, that's, this is how this came apart. Um, but eventually, like all of these hippo species went extinct, leaving tiny Aww. little hippo fossils for biologists to oh kind of God. scratch their. Heads and that's just so a little far. treat <laughs> for like <laughs> fucking <laughs> paleontologists just being like, oh. Oh, this little guy. A tiny hippo bones. Oh, I was really hoping you were about to tell me that there was like a pygmy hippo species that no, still no, lived there, in there are pygmy. There are pygmy hippo species, but not none from this event, I think. Oh, goddamn. Um, so eventually it's likely that like some uh, tipping point um, occurred, you know, like a stream formed between the Atlantic and the, the basin and uh, like the interface eventually like eroded forming the current day Strait of Gibraltar mm-hmm. and, like, filling the basin with delicious, salty water. Um, they're, like, people are kind of split on whether this happened all at once, and so, like, the the passage, like, opened and just gushed water through the whole thing and just wiped out any kind of, like, you Weirdly know... Weirdly erotic sentence. I love that. Mm. Um, there is a, there's certainly a lot of um, uh, vaginal... Imagery I had to skip when putting this together, so that that is on As the in, cutting room when floor. When reading it, you had to skip it. You were just closing your eyes, being like, "Oh no, <laughs> no, no, me. no!" Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shan't be forming that parallel today. Um, and so the whole thing flooded, and then we got the Mediterranean back, and you know, you could put your little, you you could have your little dalliances in your little sailboats out there. It's a sort stuff. of. Uh, Opposite Brexit, where they got the Mediterranean back. Got the Mediterranean back. We finally got our Mediterranean back. Yeah. <laughs> I had nowhere else to cheat on my wife. <laughs> um, so, 
um, this this brings us to the second part of the story. Flash forward to Germany in the 1920s, mm. please. Uh, okay. the, the Weimar Republic has taken form after World War I, uh, and <laughs> Lebensraum, the hyper-nationalist concept of mm. living space, uh, where the Germans plan to seize fertile and valuable land from other peoples, uh, and uh, anyone already there can go and die in a ditch. Um, yeah, sort of like when uh, you live in a share house and you plan to make the living room yours. Yeah, or if you uh, live in a share house and um, your good friend uh, buys an absolutely shit house um, Nissan Sylvia and um, decides to change the transmission system from an auto to a manual for, and I quote, safety reasons, <laughs> and then the share house no longer has a garage because. <laughs> How did um, how did that go? How did that resolve? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> There's just no way that that would be. I think I got married. Yep, yeah. and then you, yeah. Safety reasons yeah, resolved that. So. But anyway, I hope that metaphor helps you understand the you know, <laughs> expansion of the Weimar Republic <laughs> and the concept of Lebensraum. Um, so. Really, I mean, that was their only option, right, for Germany, apart from, like, learning to live with the peoples around them, et cetera, is, is just the, the violent expansion of their territory. Or is it? Um, a man by the name of Hermann Sorgel um, mm. potentially heard our show, I'm not quite sure, and was very interested in the concept of uh, the Messonine's uh, salinity crisis. So you're saying this man might have potentially listened to the first half of this unreleased, as yet, episode of a podcast. Yes. And gotten the idea for it. Gotten the concept. Well, he didn't get it from Wikipedia, Ben. That wasn't around, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good point. Well made. And so he had had a grand idea, and he called it Atlantropa. Uh, Atlantropa? Atlantropa, I'm going with. Yeah, um, I I, de- I did decide how to pronounce that, and then forgot about it. That certainly sounds like one of the uh, medications that an American ad would try and sell That's you right. when it's like people running around in a mm. park, and they're like, "Don't you miss this? Try yeah. Atlantropa. Atlantropa <laughs> don't may let, cause diarrhea. Don't let anal testicle bleeding. pain rule your life. <laughs> Has uh, wet knee stopped you from being able to live your <laughs> life to the fullest? Atlantropa." So his plan was to dam the Strait of Gibraltar and the Bosporus, the uh, strait through Istanbul, and drain mm. the Mediterranean. Finally. No more of this fucking sea. I mean, that is certainly a lot of Lebensraum, uh, the entire Mediterranean yeah. floor. Um, I would also, I would note, though, none of it is attached to Germany. Germany being land- Classically... Oh- uh, is it landlocked or does it have some it's coast on the, the but on the Atlantic Ocean? On no, no, it's on the on the um, Baltic Sea, I think. No, oh, not the, the Baltic. One. What's the the fucking the Scandinavian Sea? The bit that's in there. The bit that yeah, the yeah. they kind of wet their beaks up north, but their their southern <laughs> beaks <laughs> completely dry. They. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's how you would describe that. <laughs> Australia uses all of its beaks. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we are truly a land girt by beak. <laughs> uh, let us all rejoice. Um, 
So, uh, the, and so this is this is sort of uh, paraphrasing from his insane screeds here. The utopian goal was to solve all of the major problems of European civilization by the creation of a new continent, Atlantropa, consisting of Europe and Africa to be in, to be inhabited by the Europeans. Of course, not 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 the Africans. No, no. That seems like it would just joining them. By some sort of land bridge, and by yeah. bridge I mean an insanely deep valley uh, yes. from where the Mediterranean was, would only solve one of the problems of it being inhabited by Europeans. But luckily, this is a project that Europeans have been trying to tackle for hundreds of years. Yes. Um, Sorigal was convinced that to remain competitive with the Americas and an emerging Oriental Pan-Asia, um, which, which, was, which was definitely a thing that, that was... Worrying people at that at that time, I think the the Japanese were kind of getting their uh, imperial might up and going and trying to be like the the anchor of a pan Asia sort of thing. Which they is, were worried that Asia might unionize. That, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, they've organized and they've put their little uh, banners up. Um, so Europe, of course, needed to become self sufficient, which meant possessing territories in all climate zones. Asia would forever remain a mystery to the Europeans, uh, and the British would not be able to maintain their global empire in the long run, so a common European effort to colonize Africa was necessary. Of course, Africa being classically uncolonized by the Europeans. Yes. Yeah, they would need to start doing that in the 20s. Because uh, they'd never done that before. Never done that. Incidentally, this is exactly what happens if you play any of the European civs on a to scale uh, map <laughs> of Earth in civilization. <laughs> I suddenly challenged by the concept of Lebensraum. Oh, well, this is. <laughs> Wait a second. I simply I do not have enough living space. As Germany on the Earth 24 civs map on Civ 4, and I have run out of space to get resources. <laughs> it's, it's, t- it's time to establish Frankfurt on the Horn of Africa. Um, so the lowering of the Mediterranean would of course enable the production of immense amounts of the electrical power uh, guaranteeing the growth of industry so you know hydroelectric dams at at all of the good points Uh, and unlike fossil fuels the power source would not be subject to depletion Vast tracts of land would be freed for agriculture, including the Sahara somehow, which would be irrigated with the help of three sea-sized man-made lakes in Africa. Uh, the, what yep, a work here. Mm, yeah. the, the massive public works, which were envisioned to go on for more than a century, would relieve unemployment, and the acquisition of new land uh, would ease the pressure of overpopulation, which Sorgel thought were the fundamental causes of political unrest in Europe. Uh, also- so you're telling me uh, this is uh, government-sponsored, not make work, make but work yeah. for a purpose, for uh, sustainable electrical power. Yes. You're describing the Green New Deal. <laughs> Sorry, that was the sound of my monocle popping all the way off. <laughs> it just retrieved that. The Green Noi Deal. <laughs> And if we knew what green was I, in yeah, German, we'd be... Don't have that. That was one of the first things they taught us in German in school was the primary colours and... Uh, all gone. Uh, it's probably all the colours, I think you just change the vowel to an AU sound. Blau, round, mm-hmm. ground. Yep. Around. Anywhere where you normally see a B, that's two S's, baby. Yep. So blue is, of course, slough. Slough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he reckoned, um, you know, you might think 
hey, draining the entire Mediterranean, that might be bad for the climate. But he says, no. Sorry, I'm, green is um, grun. Grun. Yeah. Grun. Noi deal. Noi deal. Deal still deal. Deal it. Uh, but the E's got an umlaut. Yeah. Um, so the climate could be changed for the better as far away as the British Isles. So, you know, beach weather. I have to go out and buy shorts, which further relieve unemployment. Um, <laughs> That's true. As a more effective Gulf Stream would create warmer winters. Uh, the Middle East, under the control of a consolidated Atlantrope, Atlantropa, how do I say At- Atlantropa. At- Atlantropa. Uh, would be an additional energy source. That's nice for them. Kind of like the Matrix. Uh, <laughs> and a bulwark against the, quote, yellow peril. Mm. Mm. So this guy's racist as fuck. Um, but imagine, Sand? kind of get rid of all of the the racist. Is that what the yellow peril is? <laughs> uh, I'll send you some resources afterwards. Um, sure. um, but so yeah, so this guy no good at all. Kind of completely <laughs> yeah. melted brain. Um, but imagine if the Germans gave this a shot uh, instead of the Holocaust. Now it's not so. Now yeah, now I've tickled your little. Concept. If your has. point is, if this is a binary choice between the Holocaust well, I'm and just this saying, thing like, I've described. Okay, so maybe the whole thing would fall over as they realise it's like really hard. But, you know, idle hands are the devil's playthings, right? That is and true. They might have kept them entertained. They might have been having so much fun completely colonising Africa that yeah. they didn't get around to doing the Holocaust. That's, that's right. Uh, you know, like a good hobby. Yeah. Um, they couldn't do it now because of screen time. but That's true. Yeah. Hitler would be too busy using apps mm-hmm. to think Try- of the final solution. Trying to s- <laughs> trying to swipe left on Czechoslovakia. <laughs> and that's the sort of <laughs> topical humor that you've come to expect from this podcast. You guys heard about Tinder? Have you heard of the mad dictator of the Third Reich, Adolf Hitler? Well, then have I got the joke for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, he couldn't get any buy-in. But like, there was a, uh, there was like, still a bunch of interest around this. Like, there was an institute that was set up around it. Um, <laughs> the institute uh, for doing fucking dumb, crazy shit that will take ages. <laughs> that's right. Um, and uh, he later died in a car accident. Although the uh, Atlantropa Institute lasted until the early sixties. Um, but there is some good news. According mm-hmm. to Wikipedia, um, so if the Strait of Gibraltar was to close again, which is likely to happen in the near future in geological time, the oh. uh, Mediterranean <laughs> would mostly evaporate in about a thousand years. After which, the continued northward movement of Africa may obliterate the Mediterranean altogether. So that's nice. Uh, so no more sardines, am I right? On your on your toast, because the Mediterranean's gone, and I think that's yeah. where they when you get tin sardines have to, have to switch to anchovies. Yeah, I think those are yeah, yeah. There might be an ocean fish. Well, that's fascinating, Theo. Yeah, thanks. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's interesting that you uh, talked about an institute there because I'd like to talk to you about an institute as well. Oh, the Fine Institute of Catholicism. Yes, Don't worry, right. I'm already a member. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my card. Um, card carrying Catholic. Can I get you? To cast your mind, your powerful mind, to the year 1972. Hmm. I remember it well. Yep. When men were mad. Yep. 
Do they get to 72 in Mad Men? I think they... they yeah, they must do. There's the part where uh, Roger has sideburns. Yeah, yeah, dope. absolutely. Because, like, it's, it's, I think... Oh, they have the moon landing. They so... have the moon landing. They've got JFK. Yeah. Yeah, they probably get there. Uh, it's 1972. Hmm. The Cold War is hot as hell. And the intelligence community in America have been led to believe that the Soviet Union has been spending about 60 million rubles a year on psychotronic research since 1969. Hell yes. Those Ruskies have got psychics. And the uh, given the amount of money that they're spending on it, the Americans are like, oh shit, hmm. they must be onto something. We've got to get our own psychers. And you are absolutely right. The CIA says, holy shit, we need to get our own psychics. Mm, okay. Uh, so I'm just around- setting the time and now probably back two minutes. Uh, let's call <laughs> it two minutes. And I'm just going to, um, from here, see yeah. how long it takes us to get to LSD. Oh, you might be in for a pleasant surprise here. There's no LSD in this one. Oh, okay. I don't want to disappoint you. But, I mean, this does... The stuff I'm talking about does involve weird experiments with LSD, but I'm not talking about the LSD parts. Okay. Uh, so, because the CIA doesn't want to fall behind in the uh, the psychic race... Yeah, the are, linking are, to, a, to a darker kind of um, void world. Yes. They're like, what, the Russians have opened their minds to a, a horrible source of great power and evil? We should be doing that. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I'll have what they're having. <laughs> I'll have what the USSR is having. <laughs> Packs with the devil. <laughs> uh, so around 1970, the, the CIA had started a, a project called SCANATE, uh, all caps, which was short for, or at least uh, a portmanteau of scan by coordinate. Uh and this was their sort of early look into the concept of psychic phenomenon. But in 1972, they formalized it and started a research project at an independent think tank called the Stanford Research Institute uh, under parapsychologists Russell Targ and Harold Puthoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Targ uh, was a physicist who had been involved in early research on lasers. Uh, Puthoff was a, an electrical engineer. had also done a lot of stuff uh, with lasers as well, interestingly enough. Uh, he was also a man who believed that having reached uh, OT7, which was then the uh-huh. highest achievable level in Scientology, um, he had gained the ability to see things at a distance with his mind because of Hell because yes. he was OT7, which is dope. Uh, so the CIA, the CIA has given these guys a ton of money uh, to start doing tests on some like famous psychics of the time, uh, psychics like. Uri Geller. Hell yes. Uri Geller. Sorry, I think it is. Uh, Mm -hmm. According to a 1973 New York Times article, Geller's participation was organized by astronaut Edgar Mitchell. Uh, So Edgar Mitchell was famous for two things, really. Uh, The first was that he was the sixth man to walk on the moon, which is pretty cool. Uh, and the the second is that he was the first one uh, to have ever claimed that he conducted ESP experiments with people back on Earth while he was on the moon. We just uh, we just don't have cranks like we used to. Like we, I mean, we've got a ton of cranks, but none of them are like, yeah, communing some of the, with like, dolphins from the ISS or whatever, right? Just this was such a good time for uh, fucking like. Going to the Navy and being like, can I have $10 million to give mm. a dolphin acid uh, to teach it psychic powers? 
And the Navy says, holy fuck, yes. We were honestly thinking you were going to ask for more. Yeah. Would you like uh, to have a woman come and wank off that dolphin while she lives with the dolphin uh, in that project? And then the scientist, Dr. John Lilly, says, yes, please. Yeah, sure. Why not? Please listen to episode eight of the dollop dolphin. Uh Uh-huh. It's very, very good. So, Targ and Put Off were very impressed uh, with Geller's performance under their sort of which clinical is, trials. Which is incredible, by the way, because Yuri Geller is um, a like tremendous one, fraud. One uh, of the world's like- most heavily documented frauds, <laughs> generally. <laughs> no man has a longer history of people being like, this is how he faked it, I watched him do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they claimed that he had, quote, demonstrated his paranormal perceptual ability in a convincing and unambiguous manner. Oh, Beautiful. Yeah, so these scientists obviously doing some very rigorous tests. Uh, not as convinced was uh, Dep- Department of Defense consultant and University of Oregon psychology professor Ray Hyman. Uh, this is from a nineteen 19- oh, a bit of a bit of a Debbie Downer. Yeah, he's coming in like a fucking wet blanket and saying, "Wait a second, hang on." Uh, so this is from a nineteen seventy three issue of Time magazine. As Geller demonstrated ESP and psychokinesis to the delight and excitement of Targ and Putoff, I'm picturing him <laughs> clapping, clapping like seals. <laughs> oh, he did it! He bit the spoon! This is crazy! <laughs> We're getting paid millions by the CIA to do this. Uh, uh, Hyman said that he was able to spot the quote, loopholes and in inconclusiveness of each oh. feat. He also caught Geller in some outright deceptions that Targ and Putoff apparently did not discern. In one case, <laughs> Geller asked DOD projects manager George Lawrence to think of a number between 1 and 10 and write it down as large as possible on a pad. While Lawrence wrote, Geller made a show of concentrating, covering his eyes with his hands. <laughs> but Hyman, carefully observing Geller, noticed that the Israeli's open eyes were visible through his fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Thus, Geller was probably able to see the motion of Lawrence's oh arms God, as he wrote. on. And to correctly identify the number 10. That is, a, that is a trick that I could pull off on Finn for another, like, year. Max. Oh, just like, it's so good. Uh, knowing how to read arm movements, Hyman notes, is important to every magician. Later, Geller caused a nearby compass needle to turn about five degrees. Lawrence, noting mm. that Geller had moved his body and vibrated the floor, did the same, causing the needle to deflect even more. Geller, startled, <laughs> accused Lawrence of using trickery. <laughs> and Targ insisted on examining the DOD man to see if he had magnets hidden in his clothing. Oh my god. Incredible. He did not. Hyman notes that Targ did not feel that it was necessary to search Geller. You're not a psychic. Get- what kind of trickery are you using? It's so good. Hyman's impressions were admittedly based on observations made on a day when normal testing routine was not in effect. Nevertheless, Hyman wrote in a letter to a friend, SRI's tests of Geller were performed with incredible sloppiness. <laughs> the records. Are you familiar with the guy? I, I really, I, I wish I could remember his whole deal, but um, who, who was a... Um, a, a, a psychic, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. that was able to, to to turn pages with his with his mind, and and they set up a, a experiment on TV, um, where you know they've got the book, and he's all ready to go, but then they they put small pieces of paper in front of the book so that if they can a, tell if he's breathing on it, if, yeah, exactly, and he just gives up. 
There's a. I was reading a ton of stuff about uh, Yuri Keller doing interviews with like the New York Times and uh, Time Magazine and stuff. Where when he can't get something to work, he just starts having a tantrum. And his usual thing that he does is like, "Well, the fact that I can't do it all the time proves that it's real. Yeah. Because if I was a magician, I would be able to do it every time. Yeah. But like on this day, my humors were all fucked. Yeah, the ley lines underneath this building converge in a way that makes my tummy sick, and uh, I can't do psychic feats because of my sick tummy. Uh, <laughs> Targan put off, uh, sorry, the records from previous days, which Targan put off offered as proof of Gellis Bowers, were the quote, most uncontrolled and poorly recorded data I have ever encountered, <laughs> said Hyman. By 1977, the CIA had ditched the program, uh, but the Stanford oh, Research... five years. Yes, after a good... Well, and this was not even close to the end of the program. Uh, <laughs> so the Stanford Research Institute's work was picked up instead by the Army, uh, where the project acquired the name Gondola Wish, uh, which... <laughs> yeah, very specific phrase. Uh, mm-hmm. And the project was partially relocated to the Fort Meade Army Base in Maryland, uh, where again at a point, <laughs> or again at some point, it acquired another name, Project Grill Flame. Huh. Which is beautiful. Dope. Uh, as part of Grill Flame, the Department of Defense screened around 250 intelligence personnel for the traits that the Stanford Research Institute had ascertained match the profile of a good remote viewer. According to the SRI, these people were, quote, Usually confident, outgoing, broadly successful individuals with an artistic bent. So that's the mm. sort of person uh, that makes a good remote yeah, viewer. Someone, someone that, um, quite by coincidence, might be skillful enough to come up with a lie and Charming confident and enough yeah, yeah. to mm. kind of press on with it. Yeah, it's also exactly the profile of a con man. Uh, y- y- odd. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Go on. wonder what that's about. Uh, so these people were trained for between 18 to 24 months in the art of remote viewing. That 18 to 24-month figure was arrived at in consultation with the SRI because before this point, according to Lieutenant Colonel Robert Jachim, who managed the project from 1981 to 1983, quote, no one had attempted to train psychics before. I wonder why. Hmm. Uh, the project then goes through another series of name changes. Uh, from Grill Flame, it gets changed to Center Lane, which is a fucking shit name. That one sucks. Awful. But then it is changed to Operation Sunstreak, which is a good one. Mm. And then it acquires its final name, uh, which it holds until it is finally shut down in 1995. Excuse Project me? Project Stargate. <laughs> How fucking oh, dope hell is that? Yes. It's so cool. God. So, uh, in that, from that group of 250 people, they ended up selecting six and uh, combined with a few other people that they pick up after that and some people that they had since the very start, they end up with a team of about 12 to 20 remote viewers that are on the Department of Defense payroll all through the 80s and some of them, you know, up until 1995. And they are getting used, like, a lot. Uh, the... Basically, any time any of the U.S. intelligence community gets wind of something, they feed what they know to these remote viewers and ask them to find out more. Excuse and me? thanks to the CIA declassifying all of the Project Stargate documentation when the project was shut down in 1995, you can look up like the transcripts of all these. 
Like a lot of it's redacted, but like the fucking Iran hostage crisis they were using. Oh my god! Yeah. Yep. It's fucking wild. Uh, this is how one of the remote viewers uh, that he was described as remote viewer number one because he was their best one described his typical workday to the Washington Post. Uh, on a typical workday, he reported to an old leaky wooden barracks at Fort Meade where he went into a one-person office. He sat at a desk with a typewriter and a mug of coffee. The coffee said, this end up and had an arrow pointing the wrong way. <laughs> so just a little bit of office humour there for you. He was then presented with sealed envelopes, sometimes large brown ones, sometimes small white ones, and he was asked to supply information about whatever was inside. It might be a photograph of a person who'd be asked to describe where the person was located. In that way, he said, he helped the army locate hostages in Iran. He said he predicted almost precisely where Skylab was going to fall 11 months before the spacecraft returned to Earth in 1979. So they, the people that are involved in this claim a lot of successes. Like, they're all pretty dubious, but like... Uh, there's this real sort of clash between how this is talked about. The people that support it say, what? well, look at all the things we did. And yeah. then, like, uh, you'll have other army personnel be like, yeah, we asked, like, a whole bunch of remote viewers for a whole bunch of predictions, and, like, one of them turned out to be true a year. Like, Yeah, yeah statistically- just by the law of averages, you, yeah. you end up with, yeah, something, something. Right, right at the, the tail, yeah. Yeah, uh, and there's, like, they issued this big report in 1995 being, like, on the balance, no, this is not effective. Uh, so, I want to talk about one specific remote viewing session. Mm. Uh, I want to read some excerpts from a transcript uh, from a day in, it was May 22nd, 1984. The remote viewer for this session was probably the most famous remote viewer to come from Project Stargate. His name is, uh, he was chief, well, he's retired now, but chief warrant officer Joseph McMonagall. He's the author of the books Mind Trek, Remote Viewing Secrets, A Handbook, and The Stargate Chronicles, Memoirs of a Psychic Spy. (laughs) So a pretty cool guy uh, all around. Uh, according to the documentation of the session, McMonagall was given a sealed envelope containing a three-inch by five-inch white card. Now, he was given this envelope and it was placed in front of him, but he wasn't allowed to open it until this interview was over. This is kind of how they worked. I think this was one of their controls to stop uh, any sort of biases from entering mm-hmm. the process. So they're given a sealed envelope. The person that is interviewing them doesn't know what's in the envelope. Uh and neither, theoretically, does the remote viewer, although obviously with their psychic powers. Uh, you know, they, they know all about it, yeah. They know all about it, yep. Yeah. Uh, they're also sort of strapped into a weird machine that's like uh, monitoring which brain state they're in, like which brain wave. You know, how we got our alphas and our thetas and our betas and our, hmm. the fourth one. Don't know what the other one is. Uh so it sort of starts beeping if they get out of the mind state that allows for remote viewing. So I, I've not included any of that parts in here, but a couple of times they're chiding him for drifting away from yeah, it. Yeah, get back get in me. the game, buddy. Get your, get your head in the game. So he's giving a, a sealed... McMonagall's given a sealed card that he can't read, but on the card it says, The planet Mars. Time of interest, approximately one million years BC. That, that is an interesting time on Mars. That is... It's, the golden age of Mars. <laughs> The, the roaring 20s of Mars. Uh, in the beginning of the session, McMonagall is asked to use the information in the envelope, which he doesn't know, uh, and then to focus on the following coordinates. 
40.89 degrees north and 9.55 degrees west. Now, I don't know a lot about the geography of Mars. Uh, I don't know a lot about the geography of the Earth, honestly. Mm. But uh, what I do know is that there is a pretty noteworthy feature within a few fractions of degree of these coordinates. Uh, it is a place on Mars called Cydonia. I don't know if you... Do you know what's there? Um, Knights. Yeah, it's a Muse reference. Yeah. I fucking hate Muse. It's a terrible song. Ah, a terrible band altogether. Goddamn. Uh, I, actually, that's probably the, the song of theirs that I dislike the least. Oh. I, but uh, that, that's an all right one. That and... Um, strange opinion. Apocalypse Please is an all right Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. But the rest of it, absolute garbage. Fuck mm. Muse. Uh... So, Cydonia is a place on Mars where we spotted in the early sort of photographs of Mars that rock feature that looks like yeah. a, a human face. Uh, yeah, spooky. Oh, my God. Uh, hey, remember that X-Files episode about someone getting possessed the by the spooky face? worst episode of the X-Files. <laughs> absolute dog shit. It's the so spooky fun. face is a mimetic virus. No. Uh, there's also something that looks like a pyramid there as well. So, I have a slight suspicion that this is why they um, asked him to look there, but uh, we'll find out. So, I'm going to read from the, the, the transcript here. It is marked as being between uh, two people speaking, the subject, which is McMonagall, and the monitor, uh, who is, you know, the guy talking to him. Subject. I want to say it looks like, uh, I don't know, it sort of looks... Kind of got an oblique view of a, uh, a pyramid or pyramid form. It's very high. It's kind of sitting in a large, a large depressed area. Monitor. All right. Subject. <laughs> I'm liking it. It's yellowish. Uh, okra coloured. <laughs> okra is green to me. Like the transcript no, here is saying. No, come on. O- okra, like okra, like the oh, vegetable, not okay, okra as in O C R E. But I think that might be a mistranscription, I believe maybe. So, yeah. <laughs> Unless this guy just fucking loves okra, but doesn't know what it looks like. Nobody loves okra. Uh, monitor. All right. Move in time to the time indicated in the envelope I've provided you, and describe what's happening. Subject. I'm tracking severe, severe clouds, more like dust storm. Uh, it's it's geologic problem. Seems to be like a. Just a minute. I've got to iron this out. It's really weird. Monitor, just report your raw perceptions at this time. You're still early in the session. <laughs> you can't go too deep yet. No, don't. I love how seriously they're taking this. It's so fucking awesome. Uh, subject, I'm looking at, at after effect of a major geologic problem. Monitor, okay. Go back to the time before the geologic problem. Subject, um, total difference. It's... Uh, before, there's no, uh, oh, I don't know, oh, hell. It's like mountains of dirt appear and then disappear when you go before. See, uh, large flat surfaces, very uh, smooth angles, walls. They're really large, though. I mean, they're megalithic. Uh, uh, McMonagall is then asked if he notices any activity around this point. This is again from the transcript. Subject, I'm seeing, uh, it's like a perception of a shadow of people. Very tall, thin. It's only a shadow. Yes. It's almost as if they were there and then they're not there anymore. Yes. Monitor. Go back to a period of time when they are there. <laughs> Subject. Um, mumble. 
It's like I get a lot of static on a line and everything. It's breaking up all the time. Very fragmentary pieces. Monitor. Just report the raw data. Don't try to put things together. Just report the raw data. Taking this so seriously. Son of a bitch. The coolest shit. Subject. I keep... I just keep seeing very large people. They appear thin and tall, but they're very large. It's so, so large they could... <laughs> they could they swallow could me whole. Me. <laughs> they could just throw me straight into their mouth. <laughs> they're nude and they're purple and I'm talking to them and they're a hologram from Blade Runner 2049. Uh, they're wearing some kind of strange clothes. Later, he is asked to move to 80 degrees south, 64 degrees east. Monitor. Tell me about the ones who sleep through the storms. So there is a sentence before that uh, where he's saying that they have some sort of storm shelters. But uh, tell me about the ones who sleep through the storms is one of the dopest phrases I've ever heard in my entire life. So much. Fucking These people that's, are morons. That's an Al Cisneros lyric from a fucking Om song. Uh, subject. Uh, very, very tall. Again, very large people, but they're thin. They look thin because of their height. And they dress like in, oh, hell, it's like a real light silk. But it's not flowing type of clothing. It's like it's cut to fit. Hmm. Monitor. You can see everything just yeah, rubbing up against it. Everything. <laughs> you can see some weird, long, pointy Martian titties. <laughs> uh, monitor. Move close to one of them and ask them to tell you about themselves. Subject. They're ancient people. Oh, so we're not just remote viewing now. We are... Yeah, which was new to me. Um, I didn't realize he could interact with things in the past from his remote viewing powers. I thought he was just viewing them remotely. Yeah. I guess he's got uh, edit permissions as well. You just went silent there. Did you mute your mic or yeah, something happened? Yeah, I got a little... Sorry, I don't have to... Yeah? <sighs> okay. Uh, subject, they're ancient people they're, uh, they're dying It's past their time or age So it's the elves at the end of the third age The Lord of the Rings <laughs> I want to fuck one of them But <laughs> she'll lose her immortality <laughs> Monitor Fuck Does it Does she have a cool piece of jewellery? Uh, monitor, tell me about this Subject, they're very philosophic about it they're looking for a, a, a way to survive, and they just can't. The, all the pauses in here, there's always an ah, uh, and then a repetition that makes me think it's Jeff Goldblum talking. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. <laughs> they're uh, uh, looking for a way to survive. <laughs> Monitor, what is it they're waiting for? There uh, evidently was a, a, a group of, or a party of them that want to find a, a new place to live. It's like I'm getting all kinds of overwhelming input of the, yeah. the corruption of their environment. Yeah. It's failing very rapidly, and this group went... Somewhere, like a long way to find another place to live. Monitor. Okay, when the others left, these people are waiting. When the others left, how did they go? Subject. Uh, I get an impression of a... I don't know what the hell it is. It looks like the inside of a larger boat. Very rounded walls and shiny metal. Monitor. Go along with them on their journey and find out where it is they go. Yes. <laughs> Subject. Impression of a really crazy place with volcanoes and gas pockets and strange plants. Very volatile place. It's very much like going from the frying pan into the fire. Difference is there seems to be a lot of vegetation where the other place did not have it and a different kind of storm. So obviously, 
this guy remote viewed to Mars. We found out that there are ancient aliens there and that mm-hmm. they came to Earth, right? I think so. That fucking dope. I mean, like, what's the timeline here? We're talking a million, one million years. Well, he BC, asked to go back a million years BC, and which then is an odd to so go he's gone back, back further. Yeah, but, he's gone back a million years, two thousand, a million and two thousand years. Yeah. Yes, a very round number. But then he went back to when there was activity there. So I think yeah. he might have gone back some indeterminate time. So Earth yeah. definitely had life a million years ago, but it wasn't volcanic. Like we weren't, uh, no. you know, primordial at that point. No, that's right. By and any all, stretch, and they're like, well, this this shit sucks. The vibes are all off. Um, yeah. We've got to we've got to get out of here and go to Burning Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just fucking realized at some point that they got the shitty end of the stick. Uh, yeah, like, hey, hey, how come that planet's looking all cool and like green you know, it's and like vibrant? Always like super hot or super cold over here, yeah. and like we haven't got coconuts to make pina coladas in or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Would you go to Earth? That looks like a fucking dope time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just fucking. I love that this was something that they did for what 23 years, and they poured a ton of money into it, and they used it like a lot. Yeah. Uh, I found because the so the documentation they released is like there's 12 million pages of it, like literally 12 million. Uh, so it's very because it's like literally handwritten memos from like meetings and everything, every yeah. single thing. So it's impossible to really sift through it. When I was just randomly clicking on pages, I found one where. Uh, that the guy I mentioned who was in charge of the project in the early 80s had a meeting with the then vice president who said he was really excited about what they were doing. That vice president was, of course, George Bush Sr. Uh, oh. <laughs> it's just Wonderful. What a, what a fucking idiot. talking to him and just being like, so uh, we have a team of powerful psychics and he's just like, yeah. great. Loving it. <laughs> uh, so... I generally like ending these stories with, you know, like sort of a twist ending or whatever. Um, and what I've got here is that uh, Puthoff, the researcher that was one of the two that founded it, the one who was a Scientologist, but he's not a Scientologist anymore, apparently. Uh, he co-founded the To The Stars Academy with Tom DeLong. So that's, of course, the former Blink-182 uh-huh. Singers uh, Alien Research Institute, where the two people that he started it with were the founder of the CIA's remote viewing program and the guy that headed the Pentagon's UFO research program for seven years. Oh, damn. Luis Elizondo. How does he have these connections? Well, it turns out that, like, I they were putting money into these projects. I don't think they were paying them, like, enormous amounts of money. No, being, uh, being a military sort of thing, I don't think it, like, funneled to them so easily. Also, I think that the uh, advanced aviation... Uh, AAT... Aviation, uh, whatever it is. The the program that Luis Elizondo headed up was like two people, I'm pretty sure. So, like, they weren't massive programs, but mm. yeah, it's fucking wild. It's so strange. that Also, that this is the sort of story where uh, you're like, well, this was ages ago, you know, there's like no way these people are still yeah, doing stuff. Back but in like, like the sort of time of superstition and... Uh, you know, we haven't really worked out what science is yet. So sort of like blind trials, all those sorts of things, seeing whether things work, etc. Yeah. Uh, but the, these people. But no, are this still is the time we've got this like nailed We're still down doing stuff. Yeah. F- fucking um, Joseph McMonagall is like 
still alive and like interviews all the time talking yeah. about this stuff being like yeah yeah it's all real it's all yeah. cool hey hey joseph mcgarnagle how many fingers am i holding up <laughs> uh sorry that's uh largely audio medium um theo just gave him the finger which is the rudest thing that you can do with your hand well now he, <laughs> now he knows but he'll probably just say no i hadn't, hadn't listened to that part yet <laughs> i i knew well before uh, and i paused the podcast <laughs> How about you remote view my nutsack now? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you join, uh, for joining us for oh, another episode a, of Theo What Files. a pleasure. Oh, just always a treat. I love learning. Mm. How good is learning? I love learning about people that uh, refuse to learn a thing. It's so good. Like, it, I really, I think the lesson from most of these yeah. is confidence. Yeah. You just really believe that you've got psychic powers. You can convince the army. You really believe that you can drain the Mediterranean? Yeah, you just got to convince the the Weimar yep. Republic. If you really believe that you're an iguana and you can step on a raft made of w- weeds just and then you'll it. end up on a completely different continent? Yeah. Just put yourself out there. I feel Power like thematically, I want all of these to be able to end with the end scene from Burn After Reading. Like, what yep. did we learn? <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's just not do that again, whatever it was. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Oh, well, thank um, you. The guys here is you and the listener, by the okay. way. Thank yeah. <laughs> My two favorite people. Well, uh, Theo's just staring off camera and smiling. Was that at your wife or your son? Yes. Okay. Have a look at a little look at his face there. Oh, look at that smile! Yeah. Oh my sweet goodness! What a full head of hair! You guys have the same haircut. Yeah. That's adorable. <laughs> oh. I don't think we've got the same haircut. He's wearing a button-up shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got his sleeves cuffed. He's, he's, a- <laughs> he's in his Sunday best. <laughs> he's looking great. Oh my goodness. But he's got dermatitis. Hey, <laughs> like father, like son. <laughs> Catch you next week, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.